Welcome to the United Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you listening in. We're your hosts. I'm Cassie, and I'm here with my buddy James. What up, y'all? Thanks for being here with us. It's the first episode of the United Podcast, so it's pretty exciting we get to do this. Um, To give you a little bit of context about the United Podcast, we wanted to put this together so that we had a place where we could come together with other photographers and creatives to sit at the same table and learn from one another, encourage one another, and really foster more community and education through that. And so we have the opportunity to pull together and talk to some of our own industry leaders uh, with the hope that through those conversations, you can hear something that might transform your business. And not only that, but maybe transform your life, uh, because that's really what we care most about is really cultivating the creativity that we believe exists in every person. And so it was the most privilege to get to talk to Natalie Frank Hayes today. She is amazing. Like she's the bomb. It was so great. I am so excited because Natalie is one of my favorite people on the planet. She has built an amazing community of tens of thousands of creatives while fostering a spirit of community over competition around the world. She's head of community at Honeybuck, a founder of the Rising Tide Society. She's a genius in neuroscience, a mama bear for small business, and all of that while also being an incredible wife to her husband, Hugh, and a wonderful mother to her son, Huey. Yeah, she is an absolute pillar, I told her. So um, she gives me, I don't know if y'all are familiar with Brene Brown, probably most people are, but she gives me those kind of vibes. Like she is absolutely amazing. So let's not keep you from that conversation. We hope you enjoy this conversation with Natalie Frank Hayes. Enjoy. Thank you so much for joining us today, Natalie. We're so excited to have you. Thank you both for having me. Yo, Nat. So before Cassie asks you the question, it was your anniversary recently, wasn't it? It was seven years. Happy anniversary. Thank you. Thank you so much. So we were offline talking. So Tony, Tony, Tone is an R&B group that has like an incredible song called It's Your Anniversary, which you should totally look up. You'll love it. My gosh. All right. I'll look it up. I will. That's homework. You just gave me homework. Yep. Tony, Tony, <laughs> Tone. It's spelled like Tony with a Y, okay. Tony with an I, and then Tone is like an E with an accent on it. Okay. But if you put okay. Tony, Tony, Tone in YouTube, it'll pop right up. It's like a classic. It's our anniversary. All right, I'm adding it. I'm adding it to uh, to the list to listen to. I had never heard this song either, and I listened to it last night, and it really is gold. It is fabulous. Okay. <laughs> I believe you. Not everybody who has an anniversary. I mean, it's just going to be a. It's an anniversary classic. Like I, I mean, I love you'll it. love it. <laughs> so first, we'd love to start with this question, and this is one of my like all time favorite community stories. What is the Rising Tide Society and also how was it founded? Yes. So what's wild, speaking of anniversaries, is that we are five years old, which is crazy to me. The Rising Tide Society was founded five years ago and it was, you know, born out of loneliness, out of a really hard season of feeling just very, very much isolated as an entrepreneur. You know, basically back in 2015, myself, my husband, Hugh, and Davey and Krista Jones were sitting around a kitchen table, um, a dinner table, having more than our fair share glasses of wine. And 
Um, I think my husband was drinking a beer. He always likes to correct me that um, he was drinking a beer as he did his best JFK impression and said, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. And then I think it was followed by something like, and we'll go to the moon and do the other thing. And, you know, and his, I can't, I can't imitate it. So I won't try. Um, but the, the, the truth behind that night is it was a moment, I think, where we were just having an honest conversation about how lonely we had felt in the small business industry and how tired we were of being in a competitive space that really didn't put people first, that so often we felt like, you know, was very much cutthroat, was very much about guarding your secrets and hiding your knowledge and not letting other people in, not letting people have a seat at the table, not being open and welcoming. And it just, frankly, you know, it wasn't, it, it wasn't conducive to the types of relationships that we all need as human beings in order to thrive as a species. And personally, I recognize that, you know, if I continue to go down this path of being a photographer, being a small business owner and an entrepreneur and living my life in this state of loneliness, that it was going to kill me. But there was no way that I could continue operating from this place years and years into the future. It just wasn't going to happen. And, you know, essentially the four of us, we were not setting out to create what Rising Tide is today. It's really important to say that because I think sometimes people can look at the scale of something like Rising Tide and say, oh my gosh, you know, that's just, it's huge. Like it's huge, but it's, it starts one person at a time. You know, what we set out to do was just start getting creatives together over a cup of coffee in Annapolis, Maryland. That's it. That's all we set out to do. Um, you know, it was how do we start to gather these small business owners in the same room so that, you know, when you sit face to face with someone, when you share that cup of coffee or you're able to see in their eyes when they talk about their experience, what they've walked through, the pain that they felt or what they've had to overcome, it transforms you. It's very difficult to continue to look at somebody as your competition or a person that you are, you know, tearing down or comparing yourself to when you're sitting next to them and they're being vulnerable with you, when they're being honest with you about what they're walking through. And so, you know, Rising Tide was created out of a, a vision of changing our hometown. And what ended up sort of happening from that is, you know, other creatives saw us getting together in Annapolis and friends we had met at conferences like United, you know, raised their hands and said, hey, wait, I want what you have in Annapolis. Like, I want to figure out how to get other photographers, other designers, other planners to sit at a table and talk about business and share ideas and share what's working for them and to rally behind each other because, you know, going at it alone or going at it against others isn't going to lead us to a place where all of us can can thrive and be successful. And so it, it was started in Annapolis. It was built from, from that experience that we had as small business owners. And then other people took note, asked to be a part of it. Um, you know, Krista being a web designer created a website for, you know, this community. And then before we knew it, it, it started to grow. And five years later, you know, we have over 400 chapters, over 77,000 members, and just a really incredible group of leaders that are committed to supporting local community and supporting one another. That is, that's pretty huge. I'm over here um, trying not to cry. <laughs> oh. I love that story. And I love, I don't know. I love hearing you tell it. I, I think James and I both because we're business owners can really relate to being in that place of being alone. And especially, you know, 
looking back to like whenever we first started and seeing how different the entire industry is today, I hope you know that like you've really changed a lot of lives. Oh, you can't say that to me. Because, <laughs> but you really Because have. now I'm crying. But you know, like, here's the thing. I want to, I want to like raise that and say like, we have so much more work to do. Yes. Like we, yes, this industry looks very different than mm-hmm. it did when, you know, we started Rising Tide five years ago. But it's funny, even before getting on this call with you, I was having a conversation with a dear, dear friend just about how much more work needs to be done. And so it's, I think, an evolution that we're all continuing to move forward in, right? The work is not done, but it it brings me the tiniest, tiniest semblance of joy to know that there are new people coming into this space right now that do have it just a little bit, a little bit better than it was. You know, and I... I reference a conversation I had uh, with Renee Dallo, who is one of our um, former Los Angeles leaders, chapter leaders for Rising Tide. And, you know, she said she was talking with other planners and one of them, you know, said, I don't really understand community over competition because aren't, aren't business owners just always, haven't they always been nice to one another? Like, hasn't it always been the case that we share knowledge and, you know, we support each other. And Renee was like, wow, like people don't even know what it was like. They don't remember, you know, the, the, the way, the way it was, you know, five years ago. So we have so much more work to do. Um, and I'm, I'm very much committed to continuing to do that work, but, um, it, it, it's good to hear that you can see an impact. That's the hope. The hope is that there's an impact. Definitely. Yeah, no, I think that's huge. And and I, I think for a lot of people who are used to, again, going into work and having everything set up for you and, um, you know, which is great and, and and incredible and jobs are crucial, especially in this season. Um, there's another there's another side of that when you're when you're the person trying to facilitate that entire process and all the things that are going through your mind and, and having people who understand what that mental space is like, you know, and what, and, and having that support group is, is super important. Uh, so that you've created that kind of space is, is really special. Is there a story about how you decided to make that work? I, I know y'all are, y'all were in Annapolis and decided to meet, but I know there's a thing like where y'all meet on Tuesdays, Tuesdays together. Yeah. Um, yes. was that intentional or did that, was that just sort of kind of what it grew into? Yes. So it was very much intentional. Actually, I, um, I've been writing a manuscript lately for a book that will one day hit shelves, which is like an announcement, but not, oh, wait, I guess I can share. Let me put it this way. Only people who listen to this podcast will know in advance of the real announcement. <laughs> That's all I will say. So we can't, we can't publicize much more than that. But what I will say is I've been working really hard to write a manuscript. And one of the, the big things that I've been processing through, you know, is like, what are these tenets that made it successful? And I think one of them is creating a replicable structure that people can easily remember and know how they can become a part of. And so for us, you know, Tuesdays together, it, it says what it is, you know, it's like on Tuesdays we come together. And the idea behind it initially was, you know, we, we might compete Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, but Tuesday, Tuesday, we come together and it was a starting place, right? It was a starting place uh, where business owners, even those that maybe didn't at first really, you know, align with this idea of community over competition or something about it didn't resonate with them, they still could see the value in getting together with other business owners on Tuesday. And it was like a a gateway. It was an an opening door. And I think, you know, 
to add to that, we've we've learned a lot. I've I've grown. I kind of alluded to this, but I've grown a lot in in being a leader of a community and personally personally growing a lot, learning a lot. Um, one of one of those things, even being that, you know, when we first started Tuesdays together, I was under the impression that in person community was the only community. In my mindset, I thought the only way to fix this competition, this negative aspect of competition, again, not all competition is bad, but the negative side, the unhealthy side mm-hmm. is to get people together face to face. But I, I, it's important to note, even that idea has evolved over time, you know, and, and one of, one of the sort of evolutions of that being that in this season right now that we're in, in a global pandemic where, mm-hmm. you know, we cannot be physically together in many ways, but we are digitally together, understanding that online community is not an imitation. This is what my my dear, dear friend Kate Masters taught me. It's not an imitation of community. It's an innovation on it. And it may never replace our need for physical connection. And in this case, the Tuesdays Together meetings in person. But having that innovation can enable us to bring more people to the table, to actually widen our table, you know, past geographical boundaries to widen our table. Um, For example, we have a creative and chronically ill chapter of many members that can't physically gather in person due to their health. Um, But we have that group and it's phenomenal. I mean, it's like some of the most brilliant creatives that their their voices, their experiences, their talents, their knowledge, it is so valuable to the whole. It is so critical for us to learn from one another and to know that, you know, they might not be able to physically attend a meetup in person, but they are welcome here and their value they bring to the table is, you know, incredible. It's it's phenomenal. So learning. So, you know, we've, we've expanded and grown. So we have these meetings that happen in person every month. We also have these meetings facilitated online in groups like our Creative and Chronically Ill chapter or our military chapter, you know, that are dispersed geographically, but united by shared experience. Oh, that's so great. Mm-hmm. You mentioned this earlier, uh, a rising tide lifts all boats is one of the key yes. inspirational phrases in this creative community. What are some of the ways that you feel like every entrepreneur can contribute to being a part of that tide that lifts mm-hmm. up other entrepreneurs? Yes. So the quote, yes, the quote is most commonly attributed to JFK, which is what I kind of mentioned early on. And I, I mentioned that because someone, um, I walked into a conference once and someone posted up and they put Natalie Frank. And I'm like, no, I didn't come up with this. This is, you know, I'm like, I just feel the need to like from the start say, please don't attribute that to me. But um, you're like Malcolm Gladwell in the 10,000 hour role. I don't think he made that up, but he certainly popularized it. Right, 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 right. I, I think, yeah, I think, I think the key here is like, you know, it's, it's a, a, a super common quote and it references like at a macro scale, this idea that an improved economy benefits everyone involved. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when, when one of us wins in the economic landscape, when a small business owner is thriving, it actually helps all of us in the small business economy to thrive. And in that same mindset, you know, when we champion small business owners, when we fight for one another, we're all better off. It, it's this idea that we're independent boats, but we're a part of the same ocean. And so we have a responsibility because of that to really look out for one another. And I think some of the ways we can contribute to being a part of that tide, it just, it starts within us. So it starts, you know, on a personal level within all of us of, of committing, committing to, you know, getting rid of those internal narratives that pit us against one another, 
of, of working to be active listeners when we engage with others in community, to, to work on our empathy skills, right? Improving our ability to empathize with others. And, and that's like a, a very personal um, decision because, you know, when I, when I was in a state of loneliness, what I was really battling was my own internal narratives. I, I, no one was, no one was coming at me directly overtly and saying, you know, you don't fit in here. You can't contribute. You don't have anything of value to share or your photography is not as good as someone else's. You know, you, you, who do you think you are to charge that much for your, your craft? Those types of narratives were internalized. But I had a responsibility and it was on my shoulders to address that within my own heart because the problem is, and I'm sorry if I go off on a tangent here, the problem is I think sometimes we expect community to fix it. Like we expect just creating a space of rising tide to solve the competition issues or to solve in, in the economic, like our economic landscape. But the, the real work has to be done on an mm. individual level because you can still walk into a crowded room and feel completely alone. You can still be a part of a community and not, not, you know, feel like you are. And that's the difference between perceived and objective loneliness or perceived and objective social isolation. So, you know, being a part of that tide starts within us and, and really working on ourselves to know that every single human being listening to this right now is inherently worthy of love and belonging is inherently worthy of the opportunity to pursue their craft and their business. You know, that that comes from within. But then we then look external, right? And then the challenge becomes once we're right with ourselves and we're able to, to navigate those internal narratives, then we have to turn that lens outward and look for places where we can be a cheerleader for others, where we can financially support other small businesses, right? It's not, I, I'm a little bit aggressive on this. I know not everyone <laughs> adheres to this. I know you guys are laughing. I, we'll talk about my my idea of like, I'm a, I'm a mama bear for small business. I'm very aggressive on this. I believe that Money is an important element of changing a landscape. And when we put money behind small businesses and we put money right behind businesses that we want to uh, be a part of, that's that's the same in my mind as voting. Like Mm -hmm. it's a big deal. And so Mm -hmm. I think it's like becomes this lens that we walk through. And that might mean, you know, even analyzing how we go about spending money and our own habits and our family. Like, are we quick to buy on Amazon or do we look for ways to support different types of small businesses in our own local communities. Are we, you know, quick to send a link to a friend at a, you know, like on something from Target? Or do we take the time to go and ask around to people that we know and say, hey, do you know somebody that, this is a great example, that makes masks? Do you know, do you know someone that makes Mm -hmm. masks? So they're not going to go buy it from Old Navy or from J. Crew or from Lily Pulitzer, which is fine. But what about, you know, the, the single mom, small business owner who is pivoting right now because events have been canceled and is creating masks. Do you see where I'm going with this? It takes 30 seconds to ask the question, but that's what it takes to being a part of a tide that lifts others up. It takes us looking internally. And then once we're able to kind of navigate those conversations in our own hearts, looking externally and executing, executing in small ways, it's a constant evolution. It's not something we do one day on small business Saturday and forget about it. You know, like, it's yeah. every single day. It's it's how we operate in our daily lives. And those little actions, they add up. They really add up. You know, it's funny. That sounds very much like um, the love your neighbor as yourself. And in mm-hmm. many ways, people think about the love your neighbor part, which is huge because that's the part you're talking about when it comes to the lens that turns outward. 
But I think often people forget about the as yourself part, which would innately say, hey, there's work that does need to happen. Um, So do the work to get right and understand what that means. And then in that health, then love others. Right. Mm -hmm. Which would then think about in the same way that I would want somebody again to do unto me, I would then go do that to them. I, I saw something on your feed that said she is already doing what I want to do. So I can't. And then you were like, friend, don't let this sentence be the spot where you where your dream dies. There is room for you to mark your mark. There is space for you to chase the desires that have been placed on your heart. And I completely love that. So I'm sure you've got a ton of stories, uh, but I'd love to know where that came from. And then I'm sure in, in some ways that community over comp- this speaks to that community over competition. So I love how that hashtag kind of was born. Yes. So, oh my gosh, so much, so much goodness. First of all, can we just mic drop on that, James? Like everything you just said in terms of doing unto others, just, I actually have a thing I've been working on in my own right, which is like, what is the golden rule of business? And I think, you know, it's very much like treat others as you would want to be treated and know that in doing that, the rest will follow. The revenue will follow. The profit will follow. The success will follow. If you treat clients with respect, treat other business owners with respect, take care of people, go that extra mile. It's so it's important. The best brand. Absolutely. It's the back. It should be the backbone of our brands. Like that should be what our entire brands are based upon, right? Not what colors we like or um, not even, dare I say, how gorgeous our show websites are, which they are gorgeous. <laughs> The backbone of our brand lies in our values. I have to. You guys know I'm a fan. But anyway, (laughs) oh my gosh. So it's the community over competition hashtag. So originally it was a challenge that we raised on social media. We, I basically went on Instagram. It was, it's, it seems so much cooler than it was. I posted a single post way, way, way back when in early 2015. Um, And I just, I challenged other business owners to share about a competitor who was crushing it. And the heart behind it was you know, we can use our platforms. Our, like our platforms give us an opportunity to spotlight what other people are doing. It's not just yeah. meant to be a soapbox. There's a yeah. Ed Sheeran song that I love that's like, um, it talks a, like a little bit about this, but he says, ain't, ain't got a soapbox I can stand upon, but God gave me a stage, a guitar and a song. Mm-hmm. And the thing, I was listening to this on a plane ride, actually, probably flying back from a conference, um, right when he released his collaborations album. And um, what I loved about it was that it painted this picture of not a soapbox, but a stage. And a soapbox is obviously anyone who's familiar, it's, it's literally a box that someone just stands on generally in a crowded space, screaming at the world what they want them to know. Whereas a stage is something intentionally constructed in order to give a platform, not just to the voice of the one who constructed it, but to other people that have something to say. It can be shared. It elevates. And and also even the environment in which it's constructed, we sit and we listen at a stage, right? We walk past and feel um, as though we're, we're just moving through our day with a soapbox. And anyway, I, with this hashtag, with this, with this idea and, and how we kind of use social media to do it, it was about creating that stage. It was saying each of us has our independent Instagram accounts, but what if for a day we treated it like a stage and not a soapbox, we brought somebody onto that platform and we celebrated them. We actually cheered for them. And, um, you know, it, it just spread, it kind of caught, caught fire and and people started using it. And a lot of times, well, people use it now and aren't even aware of like where it came from or where it stems from. And 
everyone always asks me, um, you know, like, oh, does that bother you? And and it's funny. I'm like, no, no, it's quite the opposite. I think, you know, for me, it's not about um, credit so much as impact and to know it's being used and that people are aware of it and even looking at their their business through that lens and challenging themselves to understand what that really means, even when they get it wrong, which I'm, I'm working on, you know, um, helping people to understand the full scope of what community over competition really entails. But the thought being that it, they're sharing it, it's out there, it's spreading. And a lot of times it's being used in in a way that celebrates others. And that's really the heart behind it is you know, using using your voice to shine a light on other business owners, even those that directly compete with your bottom line. That's a beautiful sentiment to the community over competition hashtag directly like reflects the rising tide lifting all of the boats. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, I just I love how everything that you've intentionally interwoven together supports all of the different aspects of community and it's I don't know it's like all of these um all of these ways in which you've given everyone opportunities to live out the community over competition it's really beautiful to see it out in the wild and it being used so much from our perspective like we love I love seeing photographers using it and I don't know. It's just a direct reflection of how much it really means to other entrepreneurs. When someone does lift them up, they're in turn more inspired to pay it forward. And I love seeing Mm -hmm. all of those stories come to life and all of the friendships that have been built around that. And we know from experience that starting a creative business can be very a very lonely start to a really long journey. What advice would you give to photographers and other creatives who feel alone and don't know where to start looking to find their tribe of friends and cheerleaders? I would say start with one person. That's the best advice I can give you. You know, there are going to be tons of opportunities to get plugged in in large group settings. Obviously, we've mentioned Rising Tide. I think there are a ton of great communities out there. So, so, so many. But a lot of times that can be intimidating and be really overwhelming, especially for those who are new or for those who are moving to a new area, just don't know a lot of people and they're not sure where to start. And so I always recommend starting with one, starting with one person you know, that maybe you discover online or you connect with at an event or, you know, you come across their work or their business and just reaching out a hand and always remembering, you know, when when you're first reaching out to someone, um, always reach out in, in that spirit of friendship, not out of what can I get from you, but what can I give to you? What value can I provide? How can I, um, you know, basically give you something, um, in this spirit and making it clear. Cause I do think a lot of traditional networking gets sort of a, a bad reputation, right. Or has like a negative reputation because it involves like walking into a space and, you know, entering a room, shaking as many hands as you can and gathering every single business card that you can find. And it feels like people are so focused on what they can get rather than what they can give. And so my advice is start with one and focus on what you can give rather than what you can get and um, build from there. One person at a time is how an entire community is formed. That that's kind of what I was trying to allude to earlier. Even in you know, people look at the scale of Rising Tide and they they'll say like, "Wow, it's huge!" But the truth is, it started with four of us. That's it. 
it started with four of us and then 12 of us in a room in Annapolis and it's grown from there. And so you start small and and you start by making that, those connections one person at a time. No, I think that's, that's super often, even super awesome. And, uh, the, you know, that term value, uh, you know, Michelle mentioned it a lot yesterday when we talked to her and, um, and even hearing you mention it now, I think sometimes when, um, people think about the idea of, of giving a lot, it seems somewhat counterintuitive because I think maybe an old mental framework of what business is, um, business or entrepreneurship and all those types of things. And so because of that, and, you know, in many ways, you know, the way most people think about capitalism, uh, I, I don't think community is typically that. I think t- it is like, hey, I want to, I have to crush the competition in order, in order for me um, to achieve what I want to. But Gary V mentions this a lot, and I'm sure you're familiar with him when he says, hey, I want everyone to have an incredible, I mean, if everyone builds a big building, we have an incredible city. And I don't know if, if people think about it like that versus saying, hey, I have to acquire your land in order for me to big, build my building. I go, no, there's a lot of land out there. Just like it's a big ocean, we can all have big boats. Uh, and so I wonder if, uh, you could share your thoughts about, you know, some of the the ways community can attribute to better business. I mean, we mentioned it earlier when we were talking about like, you know, loving your neighbor as you love yourselves, doing it to others as you would have them do unto you. But even as you mentioned, um, even that idea of supporting a local business instead of instead of going to the big box retailer, uh, it made me even think of like, you know, have a dry cleaner um, who actually because they do tailoring and dry cleaning and all of that when everyone needed masks, they started providing those. And so even, I mean, you don't have to have a ton of masks, but even just to buy one, just to support that business. Um, and so I wonder if you've heard other stories and just, you know, and just other insight about those types of things where that thinking about community and that framework of community can help people think about um, how it actually does improve their bottom line and why that's so important. Absolutely. I might even, I'll frame it, I'll frame it a little bit different. I think businesses um, businesses that create a mindset or foster that mindset of community it's not just about like being involved in them but it's it's the way they even look at things like the way they view everything about how they operate it shifts the outcome and the outputs of their interactions and the products they create and the services that they offer and you know businesses who have this mindset, centered around serving people well and and being community centric, they're focused on the right things. You know, they're focused on the right things. So wherever their mindset goes, their actions ultimately follow. So instead of operating out of this reaction mode where they're constantly looking to the left, looking to the right, trying to figure out what their competitors are doing, they're looking straight ahead at the person they're serving. They're looking straight ahead at the customer and they're saying, how can I show up and how can I, how can I take care of this person? How can I look after my community? How can I be giving, giving, giving like we're talking about? And, you know, I always think back to PE in, in middle school when I was learning how to throw a football, which by the way, I can still barely do. And <laughs> I'm really bad at it. And, you know, the teacher said, keep your, keep your, your eyes straight ahead because where you look, the ball will follow. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm so reminded by that in running a business where if we're looking at our competitors, we're always going to be chasing them. We're not going to be out there creating value and serving people. 
And I think that that part of being an entrepreneur means means being a leader and leading the way. And I think that that part of that comes from this mindset of of giving to the community and, and being community centric. I also think that um, there's better business in the realm of understanding that relationships do ultimately lead mm-hmm. to revenue, which is kind of um, you know what I'm. <laughs> what relationships lead to revenue? Yeah, I love it. Totally I love a block it. Right there. Mm-hmm. Oh man, but it's true. It, it's it's absolutely true that they do because I think that businesses they succeed or fail based on the simple principle of how they make other people feel. Yeah. Like that that's that's where a business succeeds or fails. You know, it's it's not even so much that people are talking about a brand or or you know engaged with a brand. It's how they feel after they've been in in a in interaction or worked on a project with or you know been photographed by a, a brand because they don't see it so much as a brand as they see it as people you know people serving people and so i think it kind of goes back to something we talk about a lot in the photography industry around interactions and just you know understanding that interactions come across either feeling transactional or relational in business and the goal is to aim as a community-centered business to ensure that relationships or interactions, I should say, are relational, that they feel um, that they're people-centric and not what can I get out of you financially. And, you know, um, I just think that businesses who champion that that mindset are ultimately setting themselves up for success. And then one last point, I guess, here that I want to make um, before we move forward. But, you know, I think community is linked very much to better business as well, because communities that are, I'm sorry, businesses that are rooted in community are just that, deeply rooted. And yeah. I, I think in this season, especially with the coronavirus pandemic, we can see the impact of businesses that are deeply connected yeah. to everything from their clients, one another, their local, you know, community, even their local governments, you know, being able to stand up and say, hey, like we need to be heard. Um that we need we have there's like a, an entire economy here of self-employed businesses and small small businesses, not just the Ruth's Chris steakhouses of small businesses <laughs> that that if we aren't allowed to operate, we will die without help. And I think that without going into like every state being so different and everyone listening to this having such a different opinion on obviously reopening and, and where we are. The key takeaway, though, being here, really importantly, that being deeply rooted and earning those connections over time, like building those relationships, putting in the hours of looking out for one another, they enable us in moments of hardship to weather the storm. When we have roots that are deep, it is hard as hell to blow us over. Like we we make an impact in our communities. We are important you know, cornerstones of of community culture. I was talking to somebody recently about coffee shops and how people in San Francisco will choose what apartments they're going to rent or what buildings they're going to place their offices in or what homes they're going to buy based on the small businesses in that neighborhood. Like if they're, but think about it, right? Like what, why do people choose certain neighborhoods? Well, because there's, there's great coffee shops and there's local bars and restaurants and there's, there's a culture. There's a culture there. And can you imagine if that all went away? Like if tomorrow all those coffee shops were closed, all those businesses couldn't operate, all those wedding photographers, they went out of business in 2020 because there was no way to make ends meet. That's not a world we want to live in. That's not a world we want to be a part of. And so being deeply rooted and choosing community means not only digging our roots deeper, but when our roots are deep, we can reach out a hand to help somebody else in a storm, right? Like we can be the ones that say, 
you know what? And actually, look, I'll be fully transparent. This is something wedding photographers in my hometown, we did all the time when I was full time. When one of us wasn't getting enough bookings, we actually had a circle, a text group where like, I'll never forget someone saying like, I have not been able to book. I don't know what's going on, but like my numbers are low. And the rest of us who had filled schedules would divert all of our referrals to one person. We divert every single referral that came into our inbox that we couldn't take to that one person to make sure their business was able to operate the following year. Because maybe they weren't able to market because they had something going on at home, or maybe they were struggling with something and, you know, like they just weren't able to show up the way that they, they had in the past and they were suffering for it financially. And we had an opportunity to rally behind them in a financial way. I talk about money being critical. It's an element of where money's critical. So, you know, businesses have this opportunity to invest in community, to plant deep roots and to dig deep into, to their local, their local communities and to support one another. And I think, yes, it's great when times are good, but it's critical in seasons of struggle. It's critical when your friend's hurting and needs help, when that business owner needs someone to stand up for them, when the entire economy is shut down and you know you need to figure out who knows someone in the governor's mansion that like we can get a hold of because this is hard. And, yeah. and we've seen that. And I've seen that in Annapolis. I've seen business owners doing that in my hometown, even now, you know, amidst everything going on of like making sure that the voices are heard and making sure that those who are being disproportionately impacted by what's occurring are not forgotten. And I think that's a responsibility of all of us. And we're only aware of it if our roots are planted deeply and they're intertwined with one another. Do you have any personal experiences that you'd like to share on how being surrounded by community has lifted you up personally? Yes. I'll, I'll even share it through a, a different, a little, like a, I don't know. I call this lens because here, look, I, I've, I spent a lot of time building communities for other people. And, um, there's one instance specifically where I think I realized that I needed to rely on community as a participant and not as a leader. And that was in a season where, um, you know, my early 20s, I was diagnosed with a benign brain tumor and I didn't share about it. I, I really I didn't share about it publicly. Very few people knew uh, my family, obviously, some of my closest friends those in my in my business you know immediately I had to build a team because I found out this tumor was sitting right behind my optic nerves and I'm a photographer like if I lose my vision I, I can't I can't run a business like I, I can't um, operate my business and I, I had to figure out very quickly like how am I going to in good moral conscience operate a business? where I am photographing people's wedding days and completely are aware of the fact that at any moment, you know, this, this tumor could grow just a little bit more and press on my optic chiasm and impact my vision. You know, I could wake up blind. And so very much so built a, a team around me um, on the private side of things and kept this very quiet for, for years and years and years until my late twenties when I found out that I needed surgery and everything just stopped in, in my world. Like everything came to a, a halt in, in, in my space. And, you know, it was actually like a week before United. I went, I remember I, I went to United a week before going under the knife mm -hmm. for brain surgery and very much was the recipient of that community and witnessed what happened when I couldn't show up anymore in my business. And, you know, rising tide leaders took over my Instagram stories and wrote posts for my blog and people stepped in to answer my emails and cooked me meals and brought them to our door when my husband couldn't 
you know, figure out dinner, let alone help me to just get out of bed and shower and like do the most basic of human things that I was no longer capable of doing for myself. And all of this happened in, in a season when I went into this feeling invincible and was brought to my knees and only carried through it but because of my community, you know, came out on the other side, incredibly humbled and just so aware of the fact that we need one another, you know, like we're, we're created to connect, I think, because it is through connection that we come to exist in the first place. Mm-hmm. Like our very makeup, not to get nerdy, but like even our genetics, our DNA isn't unique. It's an iteration on the DNA of two other people. Mm-hmm. Like connection is intertwined into everything about us and every breath that we take. And from the moment that we are even conceived, we we rely on someone else for nine months for every aspect of life. Like we are built to belong because it is from belonging that we come to exist. And I think that in community and in that season in my life, I was just very much reminded of the fact that I need other people, that no matter how strong I want to believe I am or how invincible I want to perceive myself to be as an Enneagram three. Like I, I'm not, you know, are you two James? Are you a three? Oh, I love it. I love it. I feel like you you get me. It's just like, you know, we're, we're, we are just as, is in need of others as as everyone else. And I think that that season was one that just reminded me of that. But, but also I think gave me a glimpse into just how incredible other people are and how much they gave to me and how um, grateful I'll always be for that. Yeah, that that's super huge. And it's funny because you talked about like nerding out when you get to DNA, but it's kind of a poetic segue because Cassie even mentioned it in the intro about um, you loving neuroscience. But mm-hmm. even to the degree that earlier when we talked about like doing the work on yourself and within yourself um, speaks to that and, and the way neuroscience speaks to mental health and stability, um, you know, I'd love to hear about you know, how those connections with other business owners and the way even us connecting on the sort of like Enneagram three level, uh, but having those connections in the way that it helps you helps the mental space. Because you even mentioned that before about the internal narrative uh, and all of those center around mental health conversations and the way we can realize like, hey, maybe sometimes this is just a story in my own head. And then if I can get outside of that, do that work and then actually look up then I find out that I actually am connected to more people and what that does. Can you speak to what that does for your mental health stability? And then you are totally welcome to, you know, space out on neuroscience. I'm, I'm all for it. Oh my gosh. We're going to get, nerdy. I'm so excited. We're going to get nerdy. Well, first I want to say, I want to say that, um, you know, uh, a couple months ago we did a Tuesdays together meetup online and, um, one of our, our leaders in the community, um, Justine Wong, you know, she basically called it soul surgery. She said, all of what we're talking about is soul surgery. It's this process of, you know, kind of like it's, it's the same as physical surgery. It's going in and trying to fix um, something and heal something that needs repair. And I think that it's, it's so important because, you know, look, loneliness, we talk about loneliness or we talk about being socially isolated. We often think about it from a standpoint of, you know, a fluffy conversation. Like we don't think about the physical implications of it. And, you know, researchers estimate that lacking human connection carries a risk that is comparable to smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day. Wow. So 
I don't know about you, but I don't think smoking 15 cigarettes a day is a good idea for our physical health. And surely then being lonely isn't as well. And look, it's not, it's not just being socially isolated from like, okay, being actually physically alone. There's a difference. You can be physically alone and still feel connected. Uh, being or perceiving as though you are alone here is also the problem. And it's been associated with everything from, you know, increased risk of mortality to, um, you know, disease-related mortality. So, for example, you're more likely to survive something like a heart attack if you are more connected to other people, if you have social connections and you feel a sense of belonging. And a lot of the studies, and I've been researching and reading through these studies, especially recently um, while writing my book, my manuscript, and what's what's almost, I think, and I'll leave this last little bit here in terms of the disheartening angle, but the most disheartening part about it is most of these studies that are analyzing just how detrimental loneliness and isolation are on our health are looking at the disease-related mortality. So they're not taking into account things like suicide, which are also on the rise. They're saying, you know, we can prove based on this, this, and this, that if you have a heart attack, you're more likely to survive if you're connected to a group and a part of, of a community. Um, but it's not also taking into account that the loneliness epidemic is being accompanied, in my opinion, by a mental health epidemic and, and a, a real issue in our world. And I think when we look at how connections impact us, I mean, essentially, in a lot of ways, working through those internal narratives and, and really, really trying to heal ourselves doesn't just impact our own mental and physical, as studies have shown, well-being, you know, as, as humans, but it starts to impact the people around us, the people in our circles, in our families, the people we connect with in our communities, the people we connect with as other business owners. And um, in a lot of ways, you know, loneliness and connectedness are, are viral, uh, meaning like they're spread from person to person. Yeah. The, the, the hard part to accept is the fact that loneliness is actually um, has a higher viral coefficient than connectedness, meaning like if one person is lonely, it actually impacts more people more quickly than if one person is connected. But we don't operate like it goes back to independent boats in the same ocean. We don't operate um, without impacting other people all around us. And so when we take care of ourselves, when we take care of our health, when we are doing the work um, and really ensuring that we're deeply rooted and connected to other people, that we are a part of a community, it impacts the way our children feel about themselves. It impacts the way our families feel about themselves. It impacts the way we communicate with others and, and on a daily basis, how we're engaging in Facebook groups and how we're sharing on social media and how we're treating our clients. And all of those little micro interactions add up to this sort of macro network of people in our circle. And so, you know, when, when we're able to create a healthy internal existence and being, and a lot of that stems from being connected and, and enforcing those feelings of belonging and going out and fighting for, for that for other people as well, it helps everyone. Right. And, and the antithesis of that is true as well. And so, um, I, th I think sometimes we can we can think about subjects like community or talk about things like loneliness and think, yeah, but that that doesn't really impact people. And the research actually actually suggests quite the opposite. It suggests the fact that when we are lonely, we're more likely to die. Period. Like that's a really like that is a really harsh thing to come to terms with. And in doing this research myself, like 
just, I was never aware of that. I was never aware of that. I mean, I had heard of things like broken heart syndrome when, you know, a couple's been together for 50 years and one dies and the other follows suit very quickly and not being fully aware of the fact that, you know, we talk about the integration of mental and physical well-being, but that it really is linked in a way that is impossible to disentangle. And when we're able to take care of ourselves, it empowers us to be better at taking care of others too. That's really huge. And and even as you're talking, I remember, I know Cash is going to ask you something, but I, I, just to think about it, even as you're talking it, the thought of how important it is in a lot of cases to one, do the work, but then there's a there's a degree of vulnerability, which kind of brings us back to an earlier question that Cassie had asked before uh, that led you to tell a bit of your story where, you know, when you had to come out and people just and people came around you and you found uh, the kind of support and you got to be a part of the community as a, as a participant, you know, that that's still a, a real vulnerable moment. And, and typically when a leader is vulnerable, that leads the community that travels with them to be just as vulnerable. Were there, did you see that happening more too, where you saw people themselves being more open, more transparent, more vulnerable, allowing themselves to be carried by the community? Yes, I think, and I I don't think it even, it definitely didn't start with me. I think even in my community, I think when one person stands up and is vulnerable, it empowers other people to do the same. When one person is able to share their experience and they are heard and they are respected for sharing that experience, it sets a precedence that enables other people to do the same. And so, you know, it's very much, at least I see this when I consult on other, you know, companies creating communities or other community builders that are going through difficult seasons of saying like, look, the antithesis of that is true too. In parts of, within even Rising Tide, when we have Local groups, especially that don't facilitate that type of vulnerability, don't respect um, people's, you know, experiences. It creates a culture where people don't feel safe to share them, right? And so we have to be willing to fight for that. And and vulnerability is worth fighting for. It is, in a lot of ways, I think the essence of the human experience. That when someone is vulnerable with me and they're able to share, like, hey, this has been my experience. The way I respond to them sets the tone for the rest of our relationship. I either empower them by listening or or I shut them down and they never feel safe to have that dialogue with me again. And so, you know, in my own experience of being vulnerable and sharing what I was walking through, you know, I was met by a lot of love and a lot of support. And that has only further enabled me to share other things like, you know, walking through infertility, going through fertility treatment, what that experience is like. And in doing that, what also has happened is then other people start reaching out to me. And when other people have been diagnosed with benign brain tumors, they'll, they'll literally say, you have to talk to Natalie and I'll get DMs, I'll get messages, I'll get emails and phone calls. And, and that has created this space where, um, that person has just maybe one more person that they know who's gone through this and made it through and survived on the other side of it. And a lot of times those stories were the ones that carried me through my own surgery and carried me through infertility when I thought, do I know anyone who has a brain that doesn't function hormonally and has still carried a child to term? And the answer was no, until I started asking. Like until I started reaching out, I I was in my my communities for support. I actually, I have many communities, support communities for my diagnosis that are very specific to um, my particular diagnosis. And 
there were very few women in those groups that had had children. And that was really disheartening. But when I found one person, um, she's a wedding planner out of Virginia who has my tumor. She was able to shrink hers through um, medication. Mine was not responsive to that. So I needed surgery. She had a baby and she, I reached out to her and connected with her on Instagram. And she told me exactly the injection she did, exactly the protocol that worked, all the things they tried that didn't work. And when I went in for treatment, I was able to directly tell my reproductive endocrinologist, I know someone that had what I had and this is what worked for them. And we did the exact treatment and that's why I have a son. So this is like community and being willing to be vulnerable and share your story can have impacts far beyond, you know, just feeling the freedom of walking in your truth, right? Like it can enable another woman thousands of miles away or hundreds of miles away to start a family. And who knows what that family becomes, like the generations, who that baby's going to become. That's, you got it. That's everything. You got it. But that's community. And that's because she shared her story with other people in the industry. And when I was going through my season, I shared my story with people in our industry and they connected the dots and someone said, you need to reach out to her. And I did. And, you know, it's like, it, it seemed, it's just like such a simple um, kind of weaving of two threads in, in life. But, but I will always be grateful for the fact that she, again, like maybe my doctor would have done that protocol eventually, or we would have gone that route. But it could have taken years. It could have yeah. taken years. And she did. She took, I think she took years of trying different things before she found what worked. Um, and and I will always be grateful for that. And even when my baby doesn't sleep and, you know, is, is a wild child, I will still be very, very grateful for that. I have a related question. This is kind of off the cuff a little bit. Obviously, we see how sharing in vulnerability has affected you and and how that has made so many things come to fruition. Do you have any advice for someone who is holding on to a struggle or holding on to a story that they're just deeply afraid to share. Even personally, like sometimes it's hard to come out into the open with what you're struggling with and taking that first step can be so scary. So what advice do you have somebody who's sitting in that boat right now? Yes. Um, Radha Agrawal has a book called Belong and it's fantastic. And in that book, um, she references this sort of ideology, which, which's funny too, is that I've always viewed it this way, but never been able to articulate it the way she articulates it, um, of concentric circles around oneself. And this idea that if you think of it like, you know, um, concentric circles extending out from you in terms of like your innermost circle, then a circle beyond that and a circle beyond that and a circle beyond that and a circle beyond that. And when it comes to, she was referencing um, discovering community, building community, but in this case, I'm going to apply that model to vulnerability. Um, When it comes to communicating vulnerability and being able to take the baby steps, don't just leap right into your outer circle. Don't just leap straight into sharing something publicly. I, before I ever shared about my own um, vulnerable seasons publicly, I had walked through each of those concentric circles. And so it looks like telling the people closest to you, you know, and and just sometimes, I mean, it's crazy. It's This is going to sound, maybe it won't, but it, sometimes it's just saying it to yourself out loud. Mm-hmm. You know, like we oftentimes run through these conversations in our heads and it, it feels weird to say it out loud. So maybe it's even your innermost circle is you verbalizing <laughs> it. Then it's the people closest to you and you go into each of those concentric circles. So before you, you know, like I think a lot of times we think of vulnerability 
in terms of sharing something with the world is like posting on Instagram or sharing mm-hmm. something on Facebook that matters to us. I actually believe very, very much so that some of the greatest impact, not only for ourselves, but for other people doesn't happen in, in that space, doesn't happen in the one-to-many, but happens in the one-to-one. And when we're able to have those conversations one-to-one, face-to-face with people saying, hey, here's been my experience and here's what I'm walking through. Or, you know, I said, God, I think about a conversation I had today with someone where I said, you know, almost the opposite, where I'm like, this is something I'm learning and it's really, really shaking me up. Like it's really, really challenging me. And I just want to talk about it with someone. Are, are you open for us? Can we talk about this? It's very vulnerable. Like I'm, I'm trying to navigate through some personal shame and I'm trying to, you know, kind of understand my involvement in, in the world and, and how I contribute to this or how I don't. And for that person to say, just tell me how you're feeling. And for us to just open that dialogue, it helps me before I would ever go to the external world and communicate it. So I would say in moments where you have something that you want to say, or you have something you've walked through and that pain is ready to be turned into purpose, you know, that is where you start small and you start with people you can trust and you go to go to your inner circle and you have that conversation. And then from there, you know, you go a little bit further and you go a little bit further and you go a little bit further. And the way you communicate your vulnerability to the masses does not need to be the same way that you communicate it to those intimate spaces. Mm. Um, I think that's important as well. I, I also, one last thing to add here, um, I think it might be Caitlin James who said this, but it was somebody, and it was probably out of United, actually, of all places. But but this this also this construct of sharing um, your vulnerability from a standpoint of victory, and if you know if and when you get to a place where you're able to share either victoriously, I think is how it was said, and I'll add to that and kind of build upon the idea. But I'd say, or with a desire for impact, meaning I'm sharing the vulnerability not for sympathy, not for people to draw attention to me, but instead to do something good for others or mm-hmm. to share a message from that experience that can impact people. So even if it's not victorious yet, and this is something I've been wrestling about with our fertility journey because we're we're about to embark on it again. I mean, technically I've been going through treatment again since March. I got paused by COVID and now we're in the midst of it. And like, even in saying this right now, like I haven't said that publicly, like I said, I just did, but <laughs> I haven't really said that publicly because I've, I've struggled with, you know, like I can't say it victoriously yet. There's nothing victorious to share with you. I am in the mud, the mud. I'm in the mess. Like I'm still in the crying every time things don't work out the way we wanted mode. I'm still in the, you know, ordering medications that are far too expensive mode. I'm still in that mode. It's hard to be in that mode and to speak from a place of, um, you know, kind of redemption or resolution or victory. And, and yet I still believe that sometimes in these seasons, like just being able to say that and being able to say, hey, I'm back in that season again and it's hard. And I, I don't have anything victorious to tell you other than if you're also struggling with something, it doesn't have to be the same thing. And you just need someone to commiserate with or um, to it this, in this season, drink a glass of wine virtually over Zoom. Um, I'm here. I'm here. And, and I, I mean that and it's genuine. And I think, I think, you know, it, it goes back to us being willing just to create those vulnerable spaces and to champion those vulnerable spaces and sometimes extend out um, what our experience is once we feel comfortable with doing that. Once we've, we've talked to those inner circles, we've processed and, and we're no longer in such a deep pain that, that, you know, we're, we're incapable of um, 
communicating in a way that will help other people. I think, I think, you know, vulnerability when shared at mass, in my opinion, is best shared once you've been able to process through that experience a little bit. Um, doesn't mean you shouldn't share your vulnerability while you're walking through it, but I just think maybe not at in the one-to-many. Maybe that's the season where it really needs to be the one-to-one um, and safe spaces with people that you can trust. But I hope that's helpful. You know, it's... It is 100% helpful. And, you know, while you were saying that and you shared that y'all are walking through this again, my immediate first thought was, oh, good, we can pray for you. Uh, I don't know, Catherine, I share with everyone, I guess I'm just going to do it. Even when I was pregnant, I remember this. I I shared like the littlest of things that I was going through with my pregnancy. I ended up getting preeclampsia at the end of my pregnancy with Huey. And you were someone that reached out to me and you had a different experiences of your own, um, you know, with your, with your babies. And you had said to me like, oh my gosh, tell me what's going on. Like, A, I'm going to pray for you. And B, if I can share any advice, I'm going to share it. And we connected on a ton of different random things that we, we, we had both endured. <laughs> and and it was like, for me, you were the only person I knew that also had one of the things I was dealing with. And it was so small, but it, it was small. It's not like a big thing, but it was small. But it was like, in that moment, you just put oxygen back into my lungs. Like the, the sheer, the, the words, you are not alone, were all that I needed to just feel like, okay, I can keep pushing through this. It's going to be okay. Um, you know, and I think that that that's the power of that connection and it didn't happen. I never shared some of the things I shared with you ever. And I won't ever publicly <laughs> right? It's like, no one really needs to know all that, but yeah, but between like two mothers to be able to share that for me was, was incredibly moving. And in the same way, like going through infertility, like going through infertility and being able to share with other people going through infertility. And I'll add one more thing. I, I, I mentioned this on the Mary Marantz podcast and then I'll stop rambling because you know, I love to just Hey, your ramblings are welcome. <laughs> You're welcome here. Oh my gosh. But one of the, the biggest lessons that I, I'm going to write about in the book, and I've, I've been giving more time to process through it, and it's definitely still rough around the edges, is the fact that, you know, I, I talk about community over competition, and I talk about celebrating the wins of others. But a season that was very hard for me to do that in was, was the years and years and years of infertility. And going to a doctor, you know, actually right around the time Rising Tide was taking off five years ago and being told by one of the top reproductive endocrinologists in the area that he could not treat me. Like the person who is supposed to fix the broken, I was too broken for mm. and carried that. I carried that for years and years and years as friend after friend got pregnant and started their family. You know, I struggled to really celebrate others in this season. So when I talk about cheering for other people, I, I need to make it clear. I was not always perfect at this. I have said no to baby shower invitations, cried avoiding people's Instagram stories of their birth announcements. I have weathered this storm with a broken heart and a lot of work has needed to be done. I'm getting emotional, but I have needed to do on myself (laughs) because I am imperfect. So I lead through that imperfection. I do not lead from a pedestal of saying I have it all figured out. I lead by saying I am broken just like you. I am imperfect as well, and I have struggled with this. But a learning that came out of that experience was the moment that after all those years of waiting, when we finally were able to to start treatment after my surgery, and we got our first positive pregnancy test, and I shared it in my infertility group, it was the women whose arms were still empty that cheered for me the loudest. And I want that to like sneak in for a second because... 
that level of selflessness and that level of love for another human being to want better for one another and to celebrate her, even though you are still waiting for your miracle, when you are still being denied what your heart yearns for, it is not something that I myself was able to do. And yet I was met with a love that I did not deserve. And I have carried that with me every single day (laughs) since that moment. Because when I struggle with comparison or I struggle to compete or I even in this season, look at my friends who are announcing their third pregnancies or their fourth pregnancies. And I'm like, oh gosh, what I, you know, like I, I, I can, I can quickly devolve into, into that mentality of why not me? Why not me? And that resentment creating something evil and unhealthy in my heart. I am brought back to that reminder that I am called to cheer for them that I am called to celebrate with those who celebrate and that I can still live and breathe in a world where I can be happy for others and still feel sad. Like there, there is a duality that can exist and we have a choice. I can't choose the fact that this brain tumor has robbed me of fertility. I can't choose the fact that without modern medicine, I am barren. I cannot choose that, but I can choose to celebrate other couples when they are blessed with children. And I can choose to fight for other women who are not able to get access to the medical care that I am given access to in this season. I can fight to make sure that we celebrate, you know, this this beautiful thing that is that is family. And so I I'm, you know, processing through this again in yet another season and being reminded of that moment when it would have been so much easier for those women to feel the way I think I did for five to six years. And instead they met me with love. Yeah, that's, that's a couple of things. One, uh, thank you. Uh, even as we talk about vulnerability and all those things and, um, you know, sharing what you are, that's, that's huge. And I, and I hope, you know, it's, it's funny because as men, we don't, we don't have a, a clue, not in the sense of, we're just completely oblivious, but again, the actual physical experience of what it's like to um, to walk the kinds of roads that women have to walk through. Um, we just don't know. And so to share that and to share it the way you are, um, it's a big deal. So thank you for doing that. Um, and as you were talking, one of the, the, the big words that came to my mind, even as you talk about processing through the things that you that you have to process through again now um, and not necessarily having the sort of redemptive sort of victorious um, sort of angle to it. Uh, it still reminds me, especially as you, as you talk through the stories of how people have come around you and embraced you and, and held you up is to think about hope um, and the ways in which when, when we struggle though, though we can't see the other side, um, hope often carries us through and how hope can be just as contagious. And so even the way that you and Cassie connected and, and her saying, you are not alone and those words speaking the kind of volumes that it did, her saying, I'm, I can pray for you. And those speaking the kind of volumes that it did, the kind of hope that it can, um, it can bear um, to help sort of carry you and sustain you through that season. Uh, so that on the other side, we all could celebrate together. Um, that's a real moment. So again, thank you um, for sharing all of that. 
course. Mic drop from James yet again. I think mm-hmm. we're like two for two here. <laughs> yeah, I'm just sitting over here sobbing. <laughs> I got all the tears rolling down. <laughs> um, I I can't. Um, yeah, I I think that's that was amazing, Natalie. You are a pillar. Um, if there, if I've ever met one. So I told you this when I met you, that you were this sort of a, you have, you remind me of Brene Brown. Um, was that who I said? Yeah. And I remember that because I, I, I think I told you that I adore, like, it's not, I don't even have the right word for how I feel about her. Uh, (laughs) So to even be referenced in the same breath is, um, something I can only aspire to be. No, not aspire. You are Natalie Frank and the, the pillar that you are in this community and the communities that you will, um, lead in the future is, um, I mean, can't go without, I mean, can't go unsaid. There are generations that are going to be affected by the things that you produce and the people you lead and already being changed by, you know, small decisions that you've made or ways that you've been vulnerable or things that you've said or ways that you have, um, helped others. And even the things that you've said now, um, the trajectory of people's lives will change because of it. And, um, yeah, I can't thank you enough for being with us today and, um, and sharing with us. It is our honor to have, have you with us and to be able to talk to you and, uh, again, keep even building relationships. I mean, I haven't known you as long as Cassie or others, but, um, yeah, every time I've gotten time with you, it's always been rich. So, um, thank you. We appreciate you so um, much. It is an absolute honor to know you at all. So we're very blessed to get to visit with you. And you have always blessed me personally in a lot of ways. So I appreciate your friendship very much. We also want to make sure that we, man, I'm so glad James covered that closing. Cause I've just totally <laughs> lost my composure over here. <laughs> um, okay. So if somebody is interested in finding a Tuesdays together group to join, how yeah. can they do that? And where oh, can yeah. they find the Rising Tide Society and you? We want to let everybody know how they can connect. Yes. Okay. So I want to encourage everyone to connect. I think if I can close with like one last thing, it would be thank you both for all the kind things you said about me. My hope, though, is that someone listening to this hears, hears this and recognizes that they, too, can make a tremendous impact. I'm a small town photographer from Annapolis, Maryland. I... Like this, making an impact on the world, it starts one person at a time. And every single human listening to this has an opportunity to do something extraordinary with their life. And so I want you to get plugged in and I want you to take advantage of literally every resource and every community member that is here to cheer and champion you. Um, And I mean that genuinely. So to get plugged in locally and or connected to either our creative and chronically ill chapter or our military group, which are the two that aren't local, but are shared experience chapters, um, you're going to want to go to honeybook.com slash rising tide. And you'll see, you know, a plethora of resources, access to, we have like a local map where you can find your group, where you can find those other two that I mentioned. Um, I also invite you, you know, look, please don't hesitate to connect with me personally online. I love getting to work in the space of one-to-one. That is something that brings me a lot of joy. So don't be intimidated. Um, I mean that, like just shoot me a DM anytime. If, you know, the kids, if you have kids and they're running around, they're screaming and you want to send me a voice memo because that's easier, do that. 
Um, you know, if you just want to connect and share what you're working on, I would love to hear it. I really do care immensely about you and I, I want to be able to support your business. So um, you can go to at Natalie Frank on Instagram, at Rising Tide Society on Instagram or at Honeybook on Instagram. Um, and I'm a part of obviously my personal brand and both, both aspects of Rising Tide and Honeybook here to support the community in any way that I can. Thank you so much, Natalie. Oh, thank you both so, so much for having me. Oh my gosh, that gives me all the feels after that one. <laughs> yeah, it was it was pretty serious. Yeah, she's amazing. Totally amazing. Well, thank you all so much for listening to our first episode of the United Podcast. We what, really what? we really James, <laughs> we really hope you enjoyed our talk with Natalie. A huge thanks to Natalie for all of the vulnerability and wisdom that she shared with us today. Please make sure and check her out online at nataliefrank.com and over on Instagram at nataliefrank. And everything we mentioned today will be in the show notes, so it's super easy for y'all to find. Oh, yeah, definitely check her out. And if you enjoyed this, there are definitely more coming afterwards. So do a couple things for us. Find us on Instagram at Show It United uh, and be sure to follow and turn on notifications so that you know when new episodes are coming up. And wherever you get your podcasts, subscribe to the United Podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon Music, wherever you listen to them, you can find us there. And so while you're at it, go ahead and leave us a comment on what you thought about this episode. Like I said, there will be more coming. And so we would love to hear from you because we love hearing from our community of creatives. Until we talk to you again, until the next episode, thanks so much for listening. Thanks for being with us. We will catch you later. Bye, y'all.